Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, my name is Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is the guest for this episode, Mr. Jerry Driefel. I got to know Jerry just a little bit. He's a science advisor for the percussion gun company I'm working with a little bit called Nimble. And those percussion guns are those little things, they look like drills, and you've probably seen them in your gym, you've seen people running it up and down their muscles, and you've wondered, what the heck is that doing? Or you've seen those foam rollers, and people using the foam rollers, or maybe you've used one yourself, and going, okay, it feels like it's doing something, but what's it really doing? Well, that's why I invited Jerry to be a guest on the program today. In our discussion, you're going to hear how muscles work, how they're designed to work. Now, Jerry has a very interesting background. He's something called an athletic trainer. And if you watch sports, you you may hear the broadcaster talk about, well, the trainer, and you hear the terms athletic trainer thrown around, and and sometimes you're using correctly. Jerry's going to explain exactly what an athletic trainer does. A strength coach gets athletes strong to keep them on the field, helps athletes get in shape. Athletic trainer does something a little bit differently. Jerry will explain that. And this really, this is a fun conversation today where we're going to learn how our muscles work. We're going to learn a little bit more about movement, about human movement. We're going to learn some ways that we should be training, some ways that we should be exercising. Now, just a little heads up. This is only the second, maybe third time that Jerry and I had a conversation. And what you're going to hear is that we have the same approach, a very similar approach to exercise and to how the body, understanding how the body moves. This is going to give you some great insight and the type of exercises that you should be adding to your program 
especially if you want to remain injury-free. Here we go. Great conversation. Athletic trainer, founder of Functional Integrated Training and Therapy, founder of Kinesic Software, Mr. Jerry Dreefall. Today on All About Fitness, we are, it's really a privilege to be speaking with Jerry Dreefall, and I, I hope I pronounced that right, Jerry. Sometimes I do, I, I wait till late and I ask right before I do the introduction, I'm like, oh, by the way, how do you pronounce your name? But how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Oh, man, it's wonderful, wonderful. Uh, great to be here. I'm excited to be, to be part of what you're building. Well, and this, I, I love having these conversations about movement because one of the things I'm trying to get people to understand with this podcast is why we need to think differently about exercise. Because for years, we've thought about exercise, we've reduced exercise down to isolation training, but in reality, can we, should we, and I'm just going to jump right into this question, then we'll talk a little bit about your background experience, but should we, What? Or I guess a better question would be like, what is, why is training muscle isolation? Why is training body part by body part? Why is that not the most effective way to exercise if we have only a limited amount of time for exercise in the first place? So that, that's a great point. And I think, you know, a lot of people, I grew up, you, you know, you grew up in the, the segmental exercise revolution, right? The, the Joe Weider bodybuilding, hey, you got a muscle fitness, you, you, you copied the routine that Lee Haney did. You used about 10% of the weight he did, right? And a lot of that was bodybuilding based, single joint isolated, right? And that's okay if that's your goal. If muscle hypertrophy is your goal, I, you know, that's fine. The issue is that so many people have so little time and maximizing the value, your investment in that time in, in exercise is key. No different than when you, if you would invest in a business. That hour has to be intentional. And I think that so many people do the do the, the wrong exercises or the in the wrong order at the wrong time that they're spending time on their health, not investing time in their health, right? We often kind of treat uh, exercise programs as ready, fire, aim, right? And I, that's the evolution now is going into how can I work the most muscles, Let's go, let's do it. You know, what people want to hear, burn the most calories in the least amount of time that more the CrossFit revolution, right? Compound multi-joint. But you got to remember between isolated, fixed axis, compound multi-joint, right? Olympic lifting. There's a complete paradigm of, of exercise selection that someone could go through or someone can do. Um, that fits the bill, that carries that paradigm, that continuum of care and exercise from isolated to those big compound multi-joint lifts, right? But uh, in a way that avoids injury. Well, I think that just pretty much is the culmination of the interview, right? But <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to walk, because what I want to do is walk through that a little bit. And, and what I really try to help listeners do especially the primary, my primary focus of this podcast is to help the audience. I really want us to understand how to use exercise as we age. And, and I really, that's where I'm trying to get that mind shift because to your point for years, Jerry, you and I are probably both about the same age. We grew up, I don't know about you, but we grew up in, you mentioned, you mentioned the weeder principles, you mentioned muscle, muscle and fitness. We grew up, that's, that was our driving, you know, when we went to the gym, we read Arnold Schwarzenegger, we read Muscle and Fitness, and we did, we did the isolation training, but 
and you referenced Lee Haney, but we weren't doing the bodybuilding diet. We weren't doing the exogenous androgens, right? We weren't supplementing our, our endocrine system with, with, external, with, with external dosages. So it, it's no surprise that we didn't see that. In your description, and real quick for listeners, Jerry's background is pretty, is pretty extensive in understanding movement. Before I go and ask you to, to kind of qualify this, you're an athletic trainer. You're a licensed athletic trainer, but you're also a strength and conditioning coach. And sometimes people might hear, they might watch sports and they might hear a TV announcer talk about, well, an athletic trainer says, and reality what they mean is a conditioning coach or a private trainer, like somebody who prescribes exercise. So real quick, can you explain the difference between what a strength and conditioning coach does, what an athletic trainer does, and maybe the the role of a physical therapist? Can you kind of identify the differences in each of those professions to kind of give listeners an idea of, of what each entails. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, um, cause I've run the whole gamut of all of that, right. I'm kind of a hybrid of everything. Um, you're right. My, my medical license is in, um, athletic training and sports medicine. Um, and then I, but I do have this on the strength and conditioning side, the USOC us Olympic committee, the certified strength and conditioning specialist, the Poliquin, the Czech, all those courses and backgrounds and certifications, and then all the way through to the other side with a master's in, in neurophysiology, exercise physiology, um, along that side, St. John's neuromuscular therapist, um, myokinematic alignment therapist, physician release therapist. So kind of run the gamut. The biggest difference people need to understand is an athletic trainer is an allied healthcare professional. They are licensed. They have to go through a curriculum just like a physical therapist does, pass their state boards, and then continually re-up that certification every year. That athletic trainer specializes in one, treating injuries and restoring function, primarily in more active individuals and athletes, right? Whereas a strength and conditioning coach usually works with athletic trainers in the collegiate or professional setting they kind of take that person on once they're coming out of a rehab phase, right? And they're getting back to their previous and prior levels of performance. Now, a physical therapist is really specialized in, in, in looking at the acute injuries of just about anybody, uh, taking that person, restoring function, a joint by joint approach to health, right? And then handing them over. Um, usually in, in an environment, it used to be athletic trainers, but now athletic trainers and physical therapists are really becoming, you know, hand in hand and what they do and working together for the betterment of patients, athletes, clients, and employees. So you do have some crossover there, which is wonderful for people, but that physical therapist really is kind of the fender bender, right? They're like the NASCAR pit crew. They get them on the track and then the, the strength and conditioning coach is taken from there. And then now with the prevalence of personal trainers, what you're starting to see is you're actually starting to see in this field. And and look, I talk to hundreds uh, of people within this field um, every year and have been to multiple shows and presented with all this. But you're starting to see crossover. You're starting to see physical therapists go into the private pay sector. Right. And, And start to actually charge people for individualized service on a fee for service. Hey, I'm going to work on Pete and you're going to pay me X dollars an hour like a personal trainer, right? Because in the PT realm, look, you know, $85,000 a year sometimes isn't cut it for people, right? And there's different levels, but 
hey, if you divide it by 2,080 work hours in a year, and you have someone with the broad, wonderful knowledge of a therapist, and they're making $45 an hour, and you got personal trainers building 100, it's a no-brainer for them to go that direction, right? If they can just work more within a scope of practice on restoring movement and function to somebody, more than a, a strength and conditioning coach can do. You know, everybody's got their own scope of practice and what they can do. So normally, you know, PTs are seeing people reactively post-injury, athletic trainers, reactively post-injury, your physical, your personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches are proactively, right, before the injury. So they all cross over, but now you've got people bouncing across that line, right, which, which is great. It's just important for people to understand that, um, and I say this all the time because I get this question in my internships is, you know, that we do is, okay, hey, you know, certification versus education, which direction should I go? And, and look, I tell people all the time, you know, if you want to talk alphabet, letters after your name, we can talk about that, right? We can go MS, ATC, NMT level eight, um, USOC, CSCS, I can run them all that I have. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It, it's all about, can the person help you restore your movement, restore your body to a higher level of performance? Can you attain that? Can they help you maintain it and continue increasing your physiological headroom, which is the difference between the most you can do and the least you can do, right? And we want to sustain that through our life because when the most you can do becomes the least you can do, you die. <laughs> and so you have different levels of expertise, but along that reactive post-injury, PT, ATC, side of it to the proactive preventive side, which is your strength and conditioning coaches and your personal trainers, you are seeing crossover now, but they all, it all works hand in hand. And I think that's, that's, that sounds like a lot, but it's really, I think people can see that. And I know over the past number of years, there's been a big shift in our industry and you do have, you do have facilities where you have a physical therapist in the facility. And that, that's been, been around for years and you're starting to see more doctor's offices or, 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 or kind of an intermediate kind of care office or an immediate care office sometimes in some facilities. And you're also starting to see hospitals that have wellness centers and health clubs. I know this whole area is evolving. Now, to kind of take a slightly different shift to continue the conversation, you have, a, you have your master's degree in neurophysiology, right, which I think is fascinating. What, in your mind, what's been the biggest influence on what you've done in your career, Jerry? And what I mean by that, it's one thing to study something in a textbook and learn from professors at a university, but we know sometimes learning from practitioners is the biggest aha moment because these are people who are like, look, this is how I take the information and I apply it, whether they're applying it to athletes, whether they're applying it to individuals. But what's been that biggest influence in your career that's made you really focus on how you address movement and exercise with your clients? Uh, man, congratulations. You, no one's ever asked me that on tons of interviews. Um, I think one of the biggest, so as a professional, right, um, you don't want to become a professional that is, that is um, that's subconsciously ignorant, right, or you don't know what you don't know. That's dangerous for people. Yeah. You want to be consciously ignorant where you know what you don't know and you strive to know more to do better and be better for the people that you work with. Right. And I think every time I approach the course, I, I tell people, I, I show them, I spent $75,000 in one year in continuing education by right? going to the best of the best. 
um, back when these gurus were teaching. But, you know, I always said, hey, if I went to a course and in the first day, the first hour or two hours of the first day, if I didn't feel like an idiot, I, my money, it wasn't worth my money. Right. And and so you, when you know what you don't know, you strive for that. I think one of the one of the influential parts of, of my career was going to see uh, was Gary Gray and Dave Tiberio. Right. Um, he did a course. And it, it was a functional course, right? And that's when they were doing it. They had about 28 of us and they broke the human body down in a simplistic way that said, everything we do operates in, up and around the body in you're either rotating or controlling against rotation, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding that we, we view the body, you and I talked about this like an anatomy poster, right? Front and back. It's not like, it's not sections where we're just ankle, just the knee, just the hip, just the back, just the shoulder. It's all interconnected. When I step on my right foot, it, you know, my whole right hip, lower back and left shoulder come alive to work together. And that really set me on a path to really try to understand more in, in, the, in the body, look at it as a 3D way of movement, right? Rather than just fixed act a single plane front and back, you know, it really let me see the body is chest. It's not checkers, right? A lot of pieces moving a lot of different directions. It's not red and black forward back. There are two things there that I'm going to come back to because number one, I went through Gary and Dave's, I went through their full 48 week. I was in their first year in 2007 in their, their, their gift program, their, their grades to the functional transformation. But what you just said there, I think is so important that you're either, allowing rotation or stopping rotation i i, I think because and, and that's like after go, even going through that whole course i never heard it broken down to that some, to that just standard of like yeah all joints rotate all joints have an access to rotation and you are either allowing that to happen more efficiently or you're taking that back and then and then the other thing too is looking at the three-dimensional the body is like three-dimensional chess where i think it's very easy to take a look at the body and say, okay, the elbow is doing this and biceps curl. Well, you also have to keep in mind that the shoulder is doing something. And if the shoulder is involved, then well, you probably got the spine involved. And if the spine's involved, well, maybe you got the pelvis involved. And if the pelvis is involved, maybe you got the foot involved. Why is it so important to take that global view of the body? Why is it so important to, to look at the entire structure as opposed to only one joint at a time? So I think because... Now we are evolving just like anything in medicine, right? To understand that once again, we didn't know we didn't know, right? And, and now with the acceleration of, of technology, like we're doing with kinesics, uh, with musculoskeletal health, we're starting to really understand the importance of looking at the body three-dimensionally and how one thing connects to another. I mean, I went through my entire career and it was, wasn't until Thomas Myers said, hey, you know what? Your skeleton never touches the ground. It floats, right, an inch off the ground. And so you're, you're, you're constantly, your body's working to hold itself upright, stabilize itself. And I think what happened was, you know, as we started learning, hey, there's five rolls of muscles, right? You have the old agonist antagonist. And what if I flex my arm, my bicep goes to work. And then the tricep has to relax for me to flex my arm right? But the, there's these three other muscles, roles that are 
neutralizers, fixators, and supporters that are really stabilizing all the joints to do the work. And I think what happened is, honestly, as society, as we become more sedentary and we devolve into forward flexed postures and what we're doing, um, it predisposes us to the more prevalence of injury, decreased performance. And I, from my perspective, it's almost forced us to evolve on the other end and how we work with people and how people work out, right? And I think that what you're seeing is the adage, what you make a good point is, hey, doing the, the Joe Weider, moving from one machine to the next, right? Over and over again, working my body, shoulders, hips, a knee, you know, a calf, a bicep, a tricep. While it might be worthwhile for gaining size where you want to gain size, um, really what it's doing is it's setting people up for injury down the line because you're teaching your body to work individually and not as a team, right? And that's that's dangerous. And that's that's when the whole, oh, I sneezed and my back went out, right? Oh, I've done a squat 3,000 times and and now my knee's hurting, right? That's a, a big factor. And, and now with us being able to look into that and see insights and get predictive with predictability, it really becomes a way to say, hey, we're seeing people's posture, their physiques devolve. So we've had to really go the other extreme and evolve how we're working out and what we're doing. Well, and that's such, it brings up such a great point because I'm at, I'm at this age now where, not I'm at this age, but my kids are at this age and I had kids late. So I had kids when I was 40 and 42 years old. My kids are now seven and nine. And they're now at that age, Jerry, where for the last number of years, a lot of our time was spent going to the playground. A lot of our activity time was spent going to the playground. And knowing what I know, with both my kids, as early as they could, I had them climbing, swinging, doing everything. And I'm one of the few parents who was wanting, I wanted my kids to fall. Not that I wanted my kids to get hurt. Not that I wanted anything dangerous to happen. And I always had, there's dangerous, if their mother said something and it's like, okay, that's, don't, you can listen to mom, but don't listen to mom. Now, if dad says it's dangerous, then it's dangerous. There's, there's daddy dangerous. If daddy says it's dangerous, let's not do that, all right? Otherwise, because I don't mind kids getting a scraped knee. But where I'm going with this is I'm now seeing, if I take my kids to a playground, they're now three, four years older than the average kid because now at the ages of seven and nine, and my kids are involved in a few activities, but we don't have them in anything specific yet. Like they're not on a specific um, athletic course. Part of that is because of all the COVID stuff over the last 18 months, and we didn't really have them focus. And they also haven't focused on any sports that they found that they really enjoyed. But what I've noticed is that when kids reach a certain age, they stop going to the playground. They start going to a sport. And they might start, and especially here in North County, San Diego, they might only play soccer. They might only play baseball. They might only play one sport. And I'm really just trying to coach my kids on just being good movers and everything. And then what would also interest me, what also startled me is I have this pre, in a presentation slide. I have a picture of a playground next to a picture of a modern office setting. Because when we're in our first five to seven years of life, we're living at that playground. We're doing everything. We're moving. But then when we start getting into school, when we start, as we evolve, we are no longer in this dynamic environment where we swing, climb, fall, jump, play, whatever. We are now in this office environment where we don't do much movement. 
how is it like I, I'm interested in your perspective a little bit in terms of how we this whole idea of devolution or devolving what does that do for us how is that changing our body if we go from this environment where when we're young we're dynamic we're playing sports every day we're moving and then all of a sudden we get into our 20s 30s 40s and now our primary environment is the office and then maybe we go from the office to a gym and maybe at the gym now we're doing muscle isolation training. I'm interested in your perspective a little bit on why that might not be the best environment and what people should be doing as they, if they come out of their office and they're looking to exercise, what types of exercise activity should they be doing to really promote healthy movement? So let's, let's break this down for your listeners. First, we're talking about a sports specialization training, right? And, and it's where they go into a single sport or one or two sports and they train for that sport. The issue is this, right? Um, especially with rotational athletes, with golf, baseball, things like that, right? A lot of it is your field sports and track and field, tennis, um, your racket sports. When, when you have a child and you're training them within that sport, right? Very few are ambidextrous, where they throw, throw them with both arms and batting both sides, we're gonna club both ways. They're, they're within that sport. Issue is this. When they go into a training, a strength and conditioning environment, often not them, the dad, the coach, or whomever it is, are having them do things bilaterally. Mm-hmm. You have a unilateral dominant athlete. I do things more with one side of my body than the other, creates an imbalance within the body. Then they go work out, in, and they work out in a way where they work everything equally or try to get their body working equally, and it just doesn't work that way, Right. There's a tight right calf and a tight left hip. And, and so without addressing that, right, you create a stronger imbalance. And that that's one of the dangers of that. And I think that's why, you know, you get a lot of, you know, what is it, uh, 75% of athletes' injuries, you know, in, in middle school and early high school occur in weight rooms, right? And, and that's a big problem, whether it's a, a sprain. Uh, to a ligament or a strain to a tendon or muscle. That's the key. There's a difference, right? It's still a tear. And it's kind of like, I have my car's out of alignment. I drive it on an interstate, the tire bombing blows. That's what happens. That's a, a big thing for people to understand is, is that, you know, 80% of all injuries are chronic. They're gradual, right? Erosion happens before you see it. Next, 90% of those are soft tissue related. Um, they're undetectable by X-ray or MRI. They're just soft tissue, right? Things hurt. They ache when I move. That's your body's pain telling you there's a problem. It's communication. You've got to listen to it. And then the other side of that is almost 100% of that 90% of injuries are avoidable. Now, the same thing occurs as we get older, right? It is that we only got so much time. It's easy to sit in a machine and move a pin around, Right and do a movement. It is very hard or, and it's cost prohibitive sometimes for people to, to find a trainer that's qualified to actually evaluate the human body, work with them and put them through a program with ongoing goals and milestones to show progress and bring them to high levels of function. That being said, no matter what it is, no matter who you are, race, age, gender, no matter what it is, we've got to start thinking mobility first. Far none, period. If things are too tight, other things can't work. It's easy to understand if I've got a really, if my bicep flexes my arm, my tricep extends my arm, 
If I, my bicep is extremely tight, I can never extend my arm. My, my tricep gets weaker, gets weaker. I stimulate it, I can't work it. If I would take my hamstring, which bends my knee, and my thigh flex, my quad extends my knee. If my hamstring is chronically tight, it's harder for my quad to extend my leg. Now, take that and look at it through all these other hundreds of muscles through the body, right? And so what do we do? We don't stretch. We run in late. We get to the gym. We start working out. We create a stronger imbalance. And the next thing you know, we're working out. We're feeling good, which is great. You're right. We get that hedonic response of, hey, I've I, I worked out. I feel good. I got some endorphins. But then I'm going to play with my kid or run. My back goes out or my back starts at, nagging me. Right. And then so what do we do? We have to get, you know, wait for it to get so bad that we go see a doctor and then it's Medicaid or operate, right? And so, you know, that's a big thing is we, we have to start thinking mobility first. And the, the issue with this is, is most people will just stretch everything equally, which creates a more flexible imbalance, right? You, you've got to start feeling and people have to start being present in their workouts to understand how things are moving and how they should move and where, you know, where attention is. And we, we don't have the advantage of a cat. A cat stretches differently every time it gets up, depending on fascia tension. We can't detect that, but, but we sure can come in and we'll talk a little bit about modalities in a minute with a massage gun or a roller. I'm a big massage gun fan. You know, you know, I, I love nimble. I think it's one of the best to be able to find that tissue tension and then apply it and stretch it. We have to start thinking mobility first. If not, we're going to create a much tighter, stronger body. Does that make sense? I, no, I, that well, to me, that makes sense. And listeners might have to hit rewind one or two times to, to be able to to adapt that um, to, or to understand that. But really, let's let me ask you this question because a lot of times, and again, we have to look at how fitness and, and exercise is evolving over the last twenty years. Because when I first came on, when I first started doing this in the 90s, it was you had cardiorespiratory training, you had strength training, and you had flexibility training. And now, in my mind, it's evolved to mobility, force production, and force production can either be strength or power. Strength right. is magnitude, power is velocity, right? right? The amount. So you either have, I try to organize things in terms of we have force production. We have metabolic conditioning, meaning how are we getting energy to the working muscles, not just cardio, but metabolically, what energy pathway are we tapping into? And then finally, I look at mobility. And so I looked at about 20 to 30% of our exercise time, Jerry, whether that's in an hour or whether that's over the course of the week, but probably 20 30% of our active exercise time should be focused on mobility. How would you describe, I'd be interested, I'm interested in hearing your, your de- definition of, or your description of what is the difference between mobility and flexibility, because I think a lot of people hear flexibility and they think that old static stretch and I'm going to lengthen this muscle. But mobility is, in my opinion, mobility is a little bit different. How would you describe that difference between mobility and flexibility? So in our field, you know, you know, now everything's kind of that mobility is becoming a big catch-all term, right? It's a hot word right now. And there's oh, there's joint mobility. Can my shoulder move in the way it's supposed to move, right? And then there's flexibility. Can it move in that direction? You know, because it can, not in the spite of the fact that it can't. Meaning, mm-hmm. when I bring my arm overhead, does the muscles that are supposed to relax, are they able to relax and have the flexibility to allow me to do that? Or am I getting the mobility and moving my arm overhead 
because I've got the strength to fight those tight muscles and just do it, you know, aggressively because I've got the strength to do it, not because I have the flexibility to do it. Mobility and flexibility are almost becoming inter- interchangeable, meaning, hey, we think of flexibility as, oh, stretching and it's, you know, yoga, it's the long static runner stretch as we used to see in the old Runners World magazines where I stretch my right calf and I stretch my right calf and before I run, but oh, guess what? My right calf works with left torso rotation via fascial lines, right? The spiral line and the back functional line. And so I, I stretch my calf. When I stretch it, I don't rotate to the left. When I stretch, and when I stretch my right calf, so as soon as I go and, and run half a block, I tighten back up again, right? Because I didn't stretch that the whole pieces, all the pieces of the puzzle. I think that when we talk about mobility and flexibility, flexibility is having the elasticity, the length, the muscle with a rubber band, being able to stretch like they should, right? In the direction you're making them stretch. Mobility is now the joints being able to move like they should, whether it's a knee, a hip, or a leg, an arm, or a lower back, or a spine, right? We talk about segmental mobility, hip. More global mobility, leg. That's a big thing for people to understand, right? Is you don't have to boil the ocean and mm-hmm. just start stretching everything randomly, right? So on Kinesics, Kinesics, our software company, we analyze human movement and we do it through a smartphone application. Same measurements that physical therapists and athletic trainers use after you get injured, right? And they say, hey, Pete, your shoulder axle rotation, this movement is at 60, you should be at 90. Um, your hip rotation should is 30. You injured your hip, total hip injury, whatever it is. We need to get, it's at four, it needs to be 30. External rotation is 10, needs to be 50, whatever it is. Well, we do that at about three seconds, a measurement um, prior to someone's injury to keep them from getting injured, right? Whether when we have pro athletes, college athletes, we have people like you and me, weekend warriors, occupational athletes, we do it for workforce. A lot of our health systems do it pre-surgical, right? We we probably are, we are one of the largest, if not the largest collective musculoskeletal health data in the world. And I can tell you where things are going because of technology, the mid-back, mid-backs and shoulders on people are getting chronically tight, restricted, immobile, right? So if you were to say, hey, with flexibility, mobility, what can I do to help 70% of my workout get better 70% of the time? It would be stretching your mid-back and stretching your hips. I, what I need to do is I teach uh, I teach a couple of hit classes at a local YMCA, and what I need to do is have the people who take those classes listen to what you just said because that ex- you you just described my whole warm up. The whole warm up I do before we do a hit class is focused on honestly. I, I put a lot of emphasis on hip mobility because we know that that the hips are the foundation of movement. And if the hips lock up, then everything else is going to lock up. I do I kind of focus in this area. I, I focus on hip mobility thoracic spine mobility so i I do one or two t-spine mobilizations in every class and then i've started doing a lot more um work for the calves and for the achilles tendon where i'll sit there and literally have us bounce on our toe the balls of our feet for 20 to 30 seconds at a time and do gary's i do out and in for the funnel plane i do like little twisting like solemn but then i add in there a static stretch of putting the heel back and then moving the t-spine so that I'm stretching the calf from the top down to the, to the Achilles. 
That is, if you look at what I do before I do, and then honestly, in, in a 45-minute hit class, we're only doing five to eight minutes of really true high-intensity work. Everything else is mobility, kind of strength-based, moving the whole body. But I do that because a large population of the class is over 35 or 40. And I know that if I start just slamming stuff at them, they're going to get a calf injury. They're going to get a knee injury. They're going to get a back injury. So it really is good to hear you say that. And what do you think? The reason, so that's a long one-up to say, what do you think one of the most common mistakes is? And, and I know this is for listeners, and I know it's hard to, to paint an entire brush with one or two comments, but based on your experience, based on your observation, where do you think the most common mistakes are that lead people down a path of, of that repetitive injury or that injury cycle? So, you know, I think that easily is I run slow to run fast. I lift light to lift heavy. That's how I, that's how I warm up, right? That in and of itself is an archaic approach to exercise and performance. You can't bench press 95 pounds within a workout to warm up the bench press 300, right? You have to, you have to give yourself time for stretching, for warm-up, for mobility, right? For tissue elasticity, right? To hydrate your tissue and make it accepting of what you're going to put it through. I, and especially as you get older. And, and the thing about it is the people who are older are the worst ones at it because they don't have they don't have anybody like you making them do it, right? So they go in, they don't even walk on a treadmill to warm up because they think they they'll have walked out of my car to the into the facility to warm up, but they had their cell phone in their hand, their bag on their shoulder, and they disoriented themselves. And it, but you know, it, it Pete, it's amazing. I've, I've said this, I'm always amazed that what what someone won't do when they don't know what to do. Right. Mm. And and so it this isn't rocket science. For kinesics, I can tell you, I mean, with millions of data points collected on people from from professional athletes, collegiate athletes, occupational athletes, recreational athletes, patients, everything, right? Is is you have you have three major rotational joints in the body, right? Ankles, hips, and shoulders. Hips and shoulders are ball and socket joints, right? And in between that's your mid-back that transfers energy between your hips and shoulders. And guess what? Right below that's your lower back. And when you lose low hip, when you lose hip mobility and you lose mid-back mobility, you lose, you lose lower back stability, right? And then your lower back has to move more than it should. And we get these nagging pains and problems, which we call, right? Oh, low back pain, strain. Um, doctors call them M-codes, disectomy, laminectomy, disc herniations, right? And, and so all of that, it's amazing. You want to prevent 80% of workplace injuries, have people stretch their ankles, hips, and mid-back in the way they should stretch it, done. You want to prevent, if you're an athlete, you want to prevent 80% of injuries or chronic injuries or things getting worse from sports-specific training or strength training, simple. It's what you said, ankles, hips, and mid-back. you got to gain mobility where the body needs it, but we're losing it there. We, we're devolving quickly because of, of technology and static positions and what we're doing, right? It drives me nuts when I see someone walking on a treadmill, or one of our athletes going on the treadmill with their phone in their hand, right? <laughs> Shutting their shoulders down and bent over, right? And so I think for you know, for your listeners, um, it, it's so simple. You could do, you know, a quick fix is, is six simple things to gain ankle, hip, and mid-back mobility. 
and it'll transform the way their body responds to their workouts. And that's why people don't do most workouts in a functional environment. I'm a big free motion guy, right? The dual cable columns. Um, I, I built a, a whole course on that, right? You know, um, and I think that when you look at cable-based training, people don't do it because it's hard to do because for their body, it's difficult because they're, they're not able to do it. They're not able to push, pull, rotate, squat, or bend. So they go back to doing it in machines and then they don't make the gains like they should or look like they should because they're working only the muscles they can see in the mirror. And then they start getting an ache or pain and they quit, right? And they don't give themselves hope or a chance. Well, I have to say, and I'm, I'm going to stay here on the cable-based training for a minute because, Jerry, I really personally, I think cable-based training is the overlooked secret that most people don't understand how to optimize, right? If you look at it, that, I pitched a book to Human Kinetics. I'm working on my third book right now on, on recovery strategies, but I pitched a, pitched a functional strength book to Human Kinetics to go specifically into cable-based training. Because I, I'm a huge fan when the free motion for, when free motion first came out in the late '90s, early 2000s, and for listeners, the free motion machine are those gyms in the in the in the uh, the free motion machines in the gym have two arms. They look kind of like a hybrid. Like I'm, I'm showing this on the video, they they look kind of like a two arms sticking out with the handles hanging down. It kind of looks like a robot where you can lower one arm at a time, and, and it allows you to do multiple planes of motion. And different companies have different cable-based equipment. And I've said for years, if I could buy one piece of equipment at home, it'd be that dual cable column with the pull-up bar overhead that literally, so I can do cable work and I can attach a TRX to that pull-up bar and do pull-ups and do TRX stuff. What is the benefit? And I just want to kind of set the stage there because I'm a huge proponent of cable-based training. And real quick, you also have Tonal out now. Tonal's an in-home product. You have, I think it's Forme or Forme, F-O-R-M-E, is a very similar product to Tonal, cable-based training. But what is it about cable-based strength, Jerry, that makes it so different? And why is that so beneficial for our body? So, you know, I'm with you. I believe so much in it. We have an entire course that all our professionals go through before they ever touch anybody on cable-based training, right? That's back when, really, before we got into the whole human movement analysis part with kinesics. And I built it around free motions, little cable column. And, um, you know, they had, you know, 16 exercises on the front of that cable column, which to me demeaned that thing, right? And I had told Pat McGinnis at the time, CEO of free motion, you have a NASCAR here, no one knows how to drive it, right? And, <laughs> and so we built a matrix that, so you have physical therapy, which is corrective, isolated, single joint. You have strength training, right? Which is multi-joint, right? compound lifts. I'm doing a lot of heavy weight with a lot of joints at one time. The, the connection, if you look at two circles where they overlap, is cable-based training because what it does is it makes you connect the dots. It makes every joint in your body connect at one time with what you're doing, right? Um, so good example, um, a rotation. People call them a wood chop, right? You have that on, on a free motion cable column. And you have the wood chop and you can do it from your ankles up, chest height, overhead, whatever it may be. We have um, in, in our matrix, we have uh, right at 76 variations through eight levels of progressions based on lower body position, upper body position, implement, angle to the cable, angle of the cable, right? And so the, the great thing about cable-based training is 
is that it can be used rehabilitatively, but it can also be used on the performance side of things to make all the muscles and all the joints connect. So they're all working at one time. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a composer fine tuning the symphony. That's what it does. And, and so that's a big part of what people are missing nowadays. Right. And, and so, you know, for your listeners, I go back to, you know, easy thing is start with a warm up. You got to get your body warm and ready. Most people dehydrated nowadays anyway. Softdrinks.com is water. And, and so they're dehydrated. You got to get your body warmed up. You can't go in cold. Two, once you're warmed up and your blood flow is flowing, lymphatic flow is flowing, grab something like a massage gun. You know, I, like I said, I defer to nimble just for the fact that it's smaller. It doesn't beat your hand up. But and just or a foam roller and evaluate your tissue tension that day, right? Just because it's good one day doesn't mean it's not going to be bad the next. And foam roll or use that massage gun on areas of your body. The massage gun is easier because you don't have to lay in certain positions. And then where you're, and then always wear your tight, follow up with a stretch to that area now that you have blood flow going. If you do that, that's 80% of the battle won. The next, if you can implement some basic cable based training stuff, you know, a push, a pull, a rotate, and doing that or finding somebody that can help direct you in that. That's key because when you look at fixed axis machines, right? You know, when you do an exercise, all an exercise is is a movement, that period. Whether it's a row, a chest press, a pull down, it is a movement. You're applying a load via the machine to load the muscle to give it resistance against the movement. The harder the muscle has to work, the more it builds. And we can talk about, oh, well, there's actin and myosin and myofibrils and uh, just understand that the harder the muscle has to work, usually it tends to add more muscle fiber so it can do it easier next time. <laughs> and so when you do a movement like a row, all you're doing is working the muscles that do that movement. What I'm saying is every once in a while, get out of a machine, grab a cable and do that movement in a squat position or an open stance position with one leg in front of the other. You can still do it where you challenge yourself, but do it in a way that makes your body work from the ground up, right? Where it gets everything working together at one time in the order where the muscles, the right muscles work at the right order in the right time. That, again, you, you've summed up years, years of weekend workshops and conference sessions and articles that I've read. And for listeners, I'm going to link in a, I wrote a, um, a cable-based workout for ACE for the American Council on Exercise right. a number of years ago. Um, I wrote in like a cable-based workout. And it's one of my go-to workouts, Jerry, in all honesty, uh, where I do a chop, a high to low chop. I do pushes. And and listeners have heard me say this. I'm almost at the point, Jerry, where I, where I need to start having a bingo uh, a bingo card with every with every uh, podcast because I'm going to mention some of the same things. One of the things I mention is, is the people with the most experience will tell you, like somebody that doesn't know much about fitness will say, you have to do A, B, and C. Whereas somebody that knows a lot more about exercise science in the body will say, well, we're not really 100% sure, but we think we should do this based on the evidence. But that might change in the future. So there, there's that in the bingo card. The other bingo card is that I used to be a rec- I used to do all bench press all the time. I was one of those meatheads in my early 20s where I wanted the, the big chest and everything. And yeah. 
and, and jacking up my shoulders playing rugby in my 20s, you know, there's another bingo card mark. For listeners, you know, I mentioned rugby. I mentioned doing the chest press. So those are bingo card things. But now where I'm going with this is now I don't do chest press anymore. I do one-arm cable presses. And again, some of that is practical experience. Others is reading researches like uh, Stu McGill's research on the standing pressing and pulling movements. Because if you do a standing cable press or do a standing cable pull, you really feel your whole body light up. I mean, it's, it's that lighting up from the ground up. What differences, what have you seen? When you've worked with an athlete and you've introduced them to like a, a ground-based training, um, training system, what differences have you seen in their performance? Because it's all well and good to talk about it, but what have you seen? And you don't need to mention a specific athlete, but just talk in generality. When they go from this isolation training paradigm to understanding the benefit of using the entire system, what have you seen? And, and have you seen careers, athletic careers, kind of be rehabilitated and, and, and improved upon by changing that paradigm? Uh, yeah, so along that line, obviously, and when you increase functional performance, there's going to be a carryover, right, naturally into increased um, absolute performance. So functional strength is, is the ability to move a weight throughout the body through multiple planes of motion, right, in a manner where you can control it, both, you know, pulling and letting go, contrary eccentrically. Absolute strength, is, like from Charles Poliquin, is I can, I can press – 165 pounds overhead with a straight bar, right? Think of our crossfitters, right? I can do a push press, clean and jerk, whatever it may be. But what you see is when you implement and, and add in functional training to that, right, is you start training even more the neutralizers, fixators, supporters, the little muscles will help the big muscles do the job better. You bring those in. The other part of it is you start strengthening the deep inner unit, your transverse abdominal, right? Thomas Myers, deep front line. As you do that and you make those connections, what we see is there's naturally a better transfer of power from the ground up because you're removing those energy leaks, right? And they're more sports-specific performance and they're more compound, big, multi-joint lifts. So it, what you can see with functional training is when you add that in, just like when you add in flexibility mobility, right? When you add that in, you're basically taking away any inhibition mm. to the bigger muscles working, right? In the right order at the right time. And so now all of a sudden they're doing things because they can, not in spite of the fact that they can't. And then now what happens? Your physiological threshold goes up, meaning, hey, I can do more with what I've got right? And sustain over a period of time, because we know this, when you ask your body to do something more than what it can, when you supersede your physiological threshold, you get hurt. Now, our athletes, our employees, our recreational athletes, like you and me get hurt. Our tactical athletes get dead. So when their body gets in a position that they can't get out of, or they're asking their body to get in a position that they can't get into, with an athlete, you tear an ACL when your knee excessively immediately rotates, goes inward, and your hip doesn't have the mobility to let the knee move, and the whole hip moves, pushes the knee in too much, they blow their ACL. With a tactical athlete, when I've got to get in a position I can't get into, I don't get injured, I can't get into that car in an active shooter situation behind a car, so that six inches that I can't move 
That's the difference between a bullet hitting my shoulder and hitting my heart, right? So mobility first, the advantage of, of cable-based training, it continues to improve mobility within a strength training environment. I love that breakdown. I love the um, I love the example of tactical athletes because I just did a series a few number of episodes ago with uh, Jay Dawes at, at Oklahoma who researches tactical athletes, and with uh, Tom Shea, a retired uh, Navy SEAL, and, and also with uh, Aaron Quinn. Aaron Quinn is the uh, fitness trainer for the Oakland Fire Department up in Northern California, and I interviewed those guys just talking about the needs of tactical athletes because it's one thing to talk about professional athletes and I was like, you know what that's all well and good but really when you look at what we need more i'm more concerned about that firefighter being able to pull my body out of a car if heaven forbid i'm in a wreck i'm more concerned about that officer being able to respond to a situation and having the ability to handle whatever his body needs to do in, in the tactics now i want to be respectful of your time when we're coming up on the hour here i want to shift a little bit now you, you've mentioned you mentioned massage guns or percussion guns and foam rollers and i think a lot of people one of the reasons why you and i just uh, you kind of got connected is through nimble and right. i just want to want listeners to know this is only like the second conversation we've had and it's so what I love about this stuff is because we've had some of the same teachers and because we've done a lot of the same work, we're very parallel, and you're describing stuff that, that, that I refer to all the time. And, and that's where, where I'm going with that is when you talk to good professionals that do what we do, we should have about 80 to 90% of what we say should be consistent and Absolutely. should be congruent, but there should be about a 10 to 20% variance maybe in how we apply it, meaning right. that we're based on the same principles but maybe you use X and I use Y to get to the same goal, but we're following the same principles. Now, one of the things I want to ask about is people are very familiar with foam rolls. What is a foam rolling doing to the tissue and why is foam rolling a beneficial thing? So when you think about foam rolling, it's kind of like a belt sander, right? Foam rolling one is increasing the ability for the tissue to stretch to a certain level, right? It's breaking up adhesions in a tissue. The people have to understand, we get tight really quickly, right? Think about when you drive a car and you get out and your hamstrings are tight. Your body's layering in fascia. I mean, minute by minute, we get tighter, right? As we get stiff. And so what happens with foam rolling is one, it forces blood flow to the muscle tissue. Two, it increases elasticity and it breaks apart that fascia. Fascia is that sinewy tissue that connects muscle to muscle, muscle to bone, right? Think of like cotton candy. As we get tighter, it's like rolling up cotton candy into tight little hard pieces. Bone rolling helps break that apart, increases elasticity, but then the rule with bone rolling is this. When you do it, you don't want pain because then your body associates pain with the release and it'll fight the release. That's why there's different levels of intensity of foam rollers, right? The harder it is, the smaller it is, right? The more intense it is. So for people with just like massage guns with foam rolling, harder, smaller, more painful is not better. You've got to work into that. And then with foam rolling, the other part is you've got to relax the muscle over the roller. For you to roll your thighs by flexing your thighs doesn't work. You have to let it work through those deeper layers. And it's one inch increments. It's it's one inch at a time. And when you find a spot, you relax on it, right? For about 30 seconds to a minute. And then you move on. That's a big thing with foam rolling. You have to be present. You can't be on your phone. 
texting somebody, sliding all over the rollers, <laughs> right? It doesn't do any good. And that's the other reason why I like massage guns because a lot of times with foam rolling, it's hard to get into that position, right? To, to, to get on the roller or to get your body on the ground and do that. And that's why like with Nimble, you know, they created that subscription where you can pay, you know, a couple of dollars a, a month and get the massage gun. You can trade it as many times as you want and you're basically leasing it. And the other side of it is you get access to all these videos on where to use the gun, how to use it. So, you know, okay, how do I start? Well, 60 to 70 Hertz is what you want. Slower strengthens, higher lengthens. And then it's simple, plate, ball, right? Y, thumb, point, work in that order. And, and so the massage gun is just easier, quicker for people. I think to your point, people make the mistake of foam rolling at the beginning of a workout or stretching at the beginning of a workout, and they don't do it again. You can do it in between your sets or in between your exercises, right? To complement what you're doing, right? To let your body do that movement or do that exercise in the most efficient way it can. That's where I think stretching comes in, mobility work, whether it's tissue mobility or muscle flexibility throughout a workout as well, not just, oh, the first five minutes in the beginning. It's funny. I like that. And what, what Jerry's referencing real quick with the plate, the ball, and the Y are adapters for the nimble gun that, that you can change out the head of the nimble of the nimble uh, percussion gun. And I've been playing with that for the past few months. Josh and the, and the team at uh, at the team at Nimble sent me one. And I have to say, last night, yesterday morning, I was doing a doing a pretty heavy workout at my buddy's place, just doing meathead strength stuff, deadlifting yeah. and heavy carries. And, and last night, I was. I was literally laying on my couch, listening to a podcast on my headphones, and was literally using the massage gun, just just massaging, doing the percussion gun, just kind of like that was my down regulation to get ready for sleep. Was kind of doing that that tissue work. It, what is what is happening? What is the mechanism? And are you good on time right now? Do you got a couple more minutes? Okay, I just want to just pay attention to the time. But what is the mechanism? Because my understanding is with foam roll, it, it can either be the friction. Of, of the tissue on top of the roller or the pressure of the roller on the tissue that's allowing the tissue to lengthen. And it's also moving the, the, the fluid around within the tissue. But what's happening, and I think for most people, if, you, if you're not familiar with massage guns, if you've heard that, it sounds like a, an air hammer in the gym. If you've heard that air hammer in the gym, you're going, what the heck? And you see people using like a little drill object on their body. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about either a massage gun or a percussion gun. But what is happening? What is the mechanism of, of how that gun is interacting with the tissue that is allowing that tissue to lengthen or that, or that is providing some benefit? So when you think about a foam roller, it really the easiest analogy is like a rolling pin rolling out dough, right? It's splaying the muscle. It's opening the muscle up. It's pulling apart any adhesions. It's increasing some blood flow, right? And it's getting that muscle a little more elastic, right? A little more dough. When you think about, and it's like a belt sander, when you think about a massage gun, a percussion gun, and there's, there's tons of them out there in the market, the reason Nimble went with the subscription was because they got so tired of people paying $300 for a massage gun that barely fits in their hand like Thor's hammer, right? Where the Nimble fits perfect. It doesn't beat your hand up, but they had no clue how to use it. You get six attachments, you have eight speeds, and it's kind of like, well, what do I do? So people, what do people do? Slowest speed, like a bass drum, hardest attachment. 
And what they don't realize is that is strengthening tissue. And that's what you don't want if you want to lengthen. Now, if you've got a deficient glute or you've got a weak shoulder, that's fine. But if you don't know where you're weak or know what's weak, then stick to the very high speeds in any gun. And then you want to use the attachments to where you start with the least surface area, the plate, then you move to a more ball, more a smaller surface area and harder attachment. Then things like the thumb or the, the Ys, like they have like a V. And so the massage gun has the advantage is that you can apply pressure as needed. That's pain-free. It's hard to do that with a lot of your, your foam rolling because you got to lift yourself up off the roller and lay on the ground. And you're right. And it's hard to get into your chest or shoulder unless you have a lacrosse ball and that's difficult. The massage gun is just quick and easy, right? It's it's more intentional. And I think that the issue's always been from Nimble's side is people buy a gun and that's $300 in their health and the value's not there because they don't tell them exactly how to use it, when to use it, and why to use it. And that's what Nimble solved that problem with their subscription. That's done. You know exactly what to do. And they, they even have a questionnaire you can go through that gives you your own individual program, right? Um but the massage gun for me is the next big evolution because we had this thing out there for your listeners, the vibration platforms, vibration, right? Which accelerated blood flow through the body. It, it basically is like, I said, like a jackhammer. It takes your body from 3G to 5G. Think of that. And as it does that, it increases blood flow and excites the nerves and gets the body woken up, right? Ready for activity. It was these big vibration platforms. Well, what massage gun percussion therapy did was combine that technology into a small device, handheld device with different attachments that'll let you apply it to different areas of the body as you see fit. What happened though, the, the fault, the, the stopgap was that they didn't tell people, anybody how to use it. Yeah. Right. And that's the problem. Nimble solve. It's no different cable column. They put the cable column out there and people don't deduce they do tricep extensions on it. Right. And pull downs. And so um, I think the best arsenal for people is that massage gun, bar none. It's easy to use, easy to get to. You can use it anywhere in your body. And it, once you know the basics, like Nimble shows you the fundamentals, it's easy to do. Just remember, once you apply it to a body with high speeds, 60, 70 hertz, with that attachment, stretch the muscle, pull it up with the stretch. Right. That's a key. Don't just let it sit. You've got the muscle ready now. Right. It's excited. It's got blood flow. It, you've reduced a lot of uh, tissue tension, followed up with a stretch and, and to that area. And that's the, the real thing that they're solving. And then especially saying, well, if you've got a weak muscle, you know, if I know that when I'm doing a squat, that my left glute is not as strong or a lunge, it's weaker. Well, then the best thing is use that nimble at the low speeds, 20, 30 hertz with a plate or ball attachment and, and hit that muscle. And that basically strengthens and activates the motor units, the little nerves in the muscle to tell the muscle what to do. It wakes them up, right? So uh, like anything else, um, you know, like it's like a scalpel and a hand of a surgeon that heals and a hand of anyone else that kills. The massage gun's the same way, right? Um, it's like stretching. If I just stretch everything equally, I create a more flexible imbalance, right? But knowing... Hey, if I can hit certain areas of my body 80% of the time, I'm 80% good. I, I like that use of, of the vibration platform because I'm a huge fan. Like when I first saw those come out a number of years ago, 
like a lot of things, when I first see it, I'm like, okay, it might be a little bit hokey until I start going into the research and start reading the research. And there's some really cool data on vibration plant training of where you can stimulate the motor units before you do force production. And the one I used to work for Equinox, and Equinox yeah. had power plate vibration platforms. And when I was doing like heavy lifts, heavy deadlifts, I would do a 30 to 60 second mobilization on a relatively low hertz to kind of fire off the motor units and then go pull a heavy deadlift for two or three reps to kind of act do that potentiation. I mean, that's, that's one of the right ways to use it, right? Exactly right. And so it's a preparatory modality for you know heavy lifting, just like the massage gun. You, you can prep a muscle for an activity with the lower speeds or even 50 hertz, right? Middle of the road. That that just facilitates. That's excitation, waking things up. It's like me screaming at you before a lift, right? Before you work out, um, and because tissues responsive, just like anything else on our body, and it picks up on vibration. Um, but I think the other side of it too is the lengthening side of that, and following it with the stretch. I mean, I you know if I if I've got somebody, and I, I've got a loved one. Christmas is coming up. I, I in I don't see why you wouldn't buy them something like a nimble. And then our subscription lets them know exactly how to use it with the complete user manual and video library and let them do that and follow with some stretches. Um, especially, you know, if you got an athlete that is single-sided rotational dominant, right? Most of us have a one-handedness, right hand or left hand. But when you work out, it doesn't, it doesn't go that way. We do everything bilateral, right? And now we do is tighten down the spiral line. We take a bread twist, like a bread twist. We work everything equally and bilaterally. We just tighten that bread twist up even more to finally it breaks. Well, that's what mobility does. It, it unwinds that bread twist. And for like us with kinesics, we find out exactly where that bread twist, where that problem is, where that alignment is. And we help the person unwind it, right? And, and we do it bit by bit, piece by piece. And we promote things like nimble in our workforces, tactical athletes, in our, in our, you know, collegiate professional athletes to fix those imbalances before they become an injury. I think people can do the same thing. I know they can, if they'll warm up and then they'll stretch and pay attention when they're doing a stretch, if one muscle's tighter than the other and just stretch that muscle a little more, stretch that movement a little more, right? Well, and on that note, what role does unilateral training play, Jerry? And then we'll we'll wind this down because I'm a big fan. I've become a big fan, a big proponent of unilateral training. And what that is, you're just training one arm or leg at a time. A couple of my favorite lifts, and this is for listeners just so you know, a couple of my favorite lifts are the one-arm shoulder press, and that's going old-time strongman. That was from reading Pavel's book a number of years ago, and I stopped trying to do a heavy bench press. And I got to a point a couple of years ago where I could do a set of two or three with 100 pounds just straight up overhead. And that gets the hips and shoulders involved. And I put a lot of these exercises into my book, Agents Intensity, plug, plug. Um, but, I put a lot of, but, I, but I put a lot of unilateral lifts into my, into my programming specifically because I understand the benefit. And going one arm at a time really does focus on that or going split leg squats. Or my, and again, to, you mentioned Mike Boyle earlier. Coach Boyle was one of the guys who really kind of disrupted the industry a number of years ago when we talked about I only have my athletes do split leg squats because they only run on one, at, one leg at a time. Why am I having my athletes who live on one leg at a time do a bilateral squat that's going to create an imbalance? So I'm setting the stage there. Real quick, why, why, should, we be, why should we consider adding unilateral exercises into our programming if we're not already doing it? Because so you have 
it's important for your listeners to understand you have your center of gravity, right? Which is where you are over your base of support, over your feet, right? And that center of gravity, when it gets off kilter, we fall, we stumble, or when it gets off kilter, our body compensates and we get injured. And then you have to see your center of mass, right? Which is up and down. So when you're doing a shoulder press, your center of mass is going up and down. The key for us is to be able to keep our center of mass within our center of gravity over our base of support and to control that. Because when we can't, we get injured. Older people, think about our nursing homes, our residents in the nursing homes, they stumble, fall, right? Most people break a hip, then fall. They don't fall and break their hip. And so when we look at that, what unilateral training does, it forces balance. It forces core control. You know, real quick, to your point with walking and things happening on one leg, I love when, when you know, I, I go and speak to graduating classes in human movement. I say, hey, can you tell me what your core is? Oh, it's the transverse abdominis. It's the rectus, the deep abdominals. Oh, it's the muscle between your ribs and hips. And, you know, no, no, no. Serge Grakovetsky said it best, spinal engine theory. If I cut your head off at your first cervical vertebra, cut your arms off, right, what they call transhumeral, halfway down your arm, cut your legs off halfway down your leg. So if all you had was your hips, your torso, and your shoulders, and the base of your neck, that's your core. That's how our body moves. Our arms and legs just balance us out, right? It's that rotation of the torso that drives mechanical energy. Thomas Myers, our front and back functional lines, right? So when that when we talk about that, what unilateral training does is it forces all of our core stabilizers, shoulders, hips, lower back, mid back, even into the neck, the cervical vertebra in the neck, all to come together and play together at one time, right? And if we have a little imbalance and one cap is tighter than the other, one hip medial rotator is tighter than the other, right? Then when we do bilateral work, we just tighten that imbalance. We twist the bread twist tighter. Single arm, unilateral work, single leg work, right? When I say unilateral, I'm talking about a lunge, a step up, right? Split squat, things like that. Bilateral, I'm talking squats and deadlifts, equal weight distribution. When we do a unilateral lower body work, we're forcing our body to stabilize our body, keep our center of mass over our base of support and control our center of gravity. That's injury prevention and performance at its best, right? To your point, like we tell our pro athletes, look, I understand you got to bench press, right? We do a lot with, with if you're a pro offensive lineman, but there has never been a time where an offensive, a defensive player has come to you and you said, oh, stop, let me, let me get my squat position and get my bench press position. Okay, now run at me, right? There's never been a time for our workforce where it's been, oh, wait, let me let me balance myself and stabilize myself when I lift this unit overhead or I lift or I move a patient, right? It doesn't work that way. Life is reactive. And when we can't control our body and we have a reactive situation and when our body cannot react to that reactive situation, we get injured, right? And that's the biggest thing we tell our, our, our pro guys in football, your job is to impose your will on that other player as you see fit, right? And that happens in three planes and often on one leg with one arm, right? More than the other. So I think, you know, unilateral work, unilateral training, it to your users, it activates our core more, it adds stability and balance where it's needed. 
And if you can do something on one arm or with one leg, it's a hell of a lot easier to do something when you have two arms and two legs doing that movement. I love that, man, because you, you, you hit the nail on the head. And this whole, this whole conversation has been getting, how do we train differently in the gym? Because once we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, and the emails I get from listeners, I get all ages in here. Nobody wants to go to the gym and get hurt, man. Nobody wants to go. Yeah. If you invest your time to go to the gym, you want to walk away feeling better, like you're doing something to, to progress, not something to regress and, and injure yourself. So the final question now, well, two questions. One is you and I both did the cadaver lab with Thomas Myers. I think we did, we did it at different times where you go into that. If you could, what was your biggest takeaway? And for listeners, in, in Myers Cadaver Lab, you got to study the fascial lines and you did fresh tissue dissection. So you weren't looking at a preserved, you weren't looking at a preserved corpse with, with tissue that had been embalmed. You're looking at fresh, you're looking at a fresh tissue dissection. For me, it was overwhelming because I'd never gone into a gross anatomy class before, but I still came away with learning just a tremendous amount about the human body and, and developing a lot more respect from it. But from your standpoint, Jerry, Doing a fresh tissue lab with with uh, Thomas, what was your big takeaway from that? What was like the big boom aha that that allowed that caused you to do stuff a little bit differently? I, so you're right, real quick. It's not your fresh cadaver. These people are within two days of death, right? And you only have six days to dissect because they're decomposing so quickly. Even though we freeze them overnight, they're not fixated. You're right. There's there's no embalming fluid, right? Nothing is gray matter. Everything is fully colored, they have all their fluids, everything is there, right? I, I encourage everybody to do that within, within the field of your professional. I think that to me, the most amazing thing about that course was because the person is deceased and there's no neurological influence into that person, right? It really became the, the ability to see when you, when you pull something here or move something here, tissue, it moves something else elsewhere within the body. You know, it's like when, when I move a hip, oh my gosh, as I move a hip, you can see the muscles work in real time, but you can see the opposite hip and pelvis compensate, right? It really became something of, of a rewarding feeling of understanding just how amazing our, our body is designed and how interconnected things are and how, you know, if I have a tight thigh and I that thigh is tight and I pull it, what it does to the pelvis, but then what it does to the whole opposite rib cage of the body and the opposite side of the body, right? And so um, that was a, a big thing for me to, to, to really understand. And that and looking at um, how the diaphragm plays such a huge part in, in what we do and even into the diaphragm, you breathe with it, but it's, it's also, like he says, it's a knee stabilizer, right? It activates everything else within the body. But I think for your listeners, the takeaway is, we are completely interconnected, so we need to train that way. I'm okay with doing a shoulder press in a machine if you complement that and focus on doing it with one dumbbell overhead, right, in a sitting or stand, and then move to a standing position. Add more joints to the movement as you get more experienced in your workouts. It's not about just moving a pin down a machine. People's bodies are changing and transforming in ways they've never thought possible. They don't see it because all they focus on are dumb numbers, right? Oh, my body weight, how much I weigh and how much weight I can push, right? And I think for them, they need to understand that it takes six months 
to, to retrain and redo the damage what we've done in the last year. And I, and I think for your listeners, you know, it's important. I love what Paul Check says is that, you know, you've got all these red blood cells in your body, right? And every red blood cell has more working parts than an Astro Space Shuttle. And you get new ones every day. Hmm. We're changing every day. Change is inevitable. It's are you changing for the better or for the worse? And when you go into an environment and you work out and you warm up and you do some stretches, you take the massage gun and you work in some tight areas and then follow it with a stretch and complement it with every once in a while doing things with one arm or doing things like a, like a lunge or a, or a step up and paying attention to how your body does it and then stretch what's tighter and then strengthen what's weaker. Do a couple more on one leg than the other. Stretch a calf one side more than the other. You're changing your body for the better every day, every minute, and everything you do. That's awesome. I'm just, I was pausing because I'll probably use I'll probably use that clip as as the promo. I always do like a little promo clip to kind of get the people because that's perfect. I mean, that just is a good just a good heads up on that. Final question: What's your go-to workout when you want to get after it with everything you know, cable based, everything? If you're going to go, if you're feeling good, you're firing on all cylinders. What's your go-to workout? Uh, by by far, easy easily is is cable-based training. It's cable-based stuff on a, on a dual cable column, push, pull, rotate, squat, bend. It is bar none. I mean, I you know I think power racks are important. We use you know we use some of the best with Dave Tate. Um, elite, elite fitness systems, but you know, just like a crossfitter grabs that straight bar, right? To me, um, there's nothing better than grabbing the cable column and push, pull, rotate, squat, bend around that column. But it all starts with with lengthening and strengthening. You know, is is warming things up with the massage gun, doing some stretches, being mindful enough for me to stretch what's tight, and then and then if something's tighter, adding more to that, and then going to the cable system and, and adding that in cable and dumbbell work are, are key, but nothing, you know, to me, gets more muscles involved, burn, burn more calories in the least amount of time than, than with that. That's awesome. Now you, you talk about kinesics and, and, and nimble. What, what, how do people get more information about, about the kinesics software and their trainer, they would need to work with a trainer who understands how to use that. Or is that a software? Would I be able to use that myself to do like a self-assessment to find out what I might need to work on. <laughs> I, 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 just, I, I honestly, I should have looked that up before we spoke, but because no. I think that's, that's the downfall, right? Is, is like, we hear this. It's like, okay, I need to, I, I kind of need to understand this, but do I, does that mean I need to go find a personal trainer that understands how to do that? Or is there a way, have, has technology evolved to the point that I can set my phone up, do two or three movements and the phone says, okay, yes, do this or no, don't do that. So I think, you know, our, our initial goal with kinesics, we say, you know, it's Latin means movement is communication. How your body moves is your body communicating, you the pain communicates to you as well. Um, the initial goal is to transform the way professionals evaluate the human body, right? Using the same measurements we've done all these years and just doing them now, it's like Amazon. It, you're, you're, you're getting the same package, it's just you're not having to wait six weeks. <laughs> you know, I have to go to go to a dealer to go to the mall or, you know, drive and fight traffic. Um, it's fulfilling that. And I think for us right now, it's transforming the way, human, you know, for, you know, human movement professionals, whether it's ATCs, trainers, strength and coaches, PTs, 
the way they assess human movement and the way they view the human body. Um, that's first step. Yes. Second step will be to, to allow anyone to evaluate anybody anywhere at any time, even yourself, and, and, and fix the problem before it becomes a problem. Um, for kinesics right now, if you, you know, go on to the website, um, www.kinesics.hms.com um, brings a lot of light to any professional dealing with anything with human movement, sports performance, conditioning, pain prevention, performance across the board. Um, doing that, there are the other company Fit was this was born out of Fit, but I think the other side of it is with Nimble, looking at Nimble, and I can tell people going spending less than than a couple cents a day, and, and do a subscription, get the basic package, and understand how to use that gun. It's it's effortless on what to do in a couple minutes. You can understand exactly how to use it, where to use it, why to use it, when to use it. And, and so, um, but for kinesics, yeah, good things coming. With there, I can't speak more because my CEO will kill me, Matt Adler, <laughs> who's, ama- who's amazing. <laughs> I don't want him mad at me, but um, that's the goal is, you know, it's, it's like Steve Jobs says, to have a computer where, you know, you treat it like an appliance where even a, a grandma in Nebraska can operate it. You know, look, pain and disease are complex, right? That's why we have billion dollar industries to treat them, right? Um, you can't create a complex solution to a complex problem. And for us with kinesics, it's about creating a simple solution to the most complex problem there's always that there's ever been, which is MSDs, muscle skeletal disorders and workforce, injuries, no matter across the board, right? Lack of performance, pain, and dysfunction. And it doesn't have to be that hard. And that's something that that that's kind of our our dragon, right, is, is that we view pain as our opponent. And, you know, we got to go through that dragon to get our gold. But our, our belief is that there's no one out there that, that should be living in pain, period. And that's something we're going to eradicate. So um, I'm, a, I'm privileged to be and humbled to be on your show and talk about it. But for people, top three takeaways, warm up, stretch. If it's tighter, stretch it more. And then when you strengthen, if it's weaker, add some more reps to it. And the only way to do that is with unilateral, you know, cable-based or freeway training. I, I'm going to leave it there. Jerry, hey, Jerry, man, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Jerry Drefall, and uh, I'm going to have your contact information down below in terms of Kinesics, in terms of the website, and for Nimble, because I think these are great resources. And, and I'm tangentially involved with Nimble a little bit. I've just become, I've become a big fan. The more I've learned about the benefits of percussion, and use a percussion gun. I've just become a a huge fan of it. So, hey, I really appreciate your time, and I really appreciate your insights today. Man, thank thank you so much. God God bless, and uh, stay healthy. Move well. Again, I want to point out that, that Jerry and I don't really know each other that well. But we've apparently studied a lot of the same stuff, and I thought it was really cool that that he also went to the, the Tom Myers Anatomy or the Cadaver Program. In my career, I, I've had a tremendous opportunity. I, I took the the fellowship or the mentorship with Gary Gray. The first year it was offered. I went to the the Thomas Myers cadaver dissection the first time it was offered. I've had some tremendous opportunity, and it's really cool when I do that and I meet other professionals who've gone to the same workshops and the same taking the same programs because we get to compare notes. I went to the, the 
the, went to the times, the times those programs were first offered, and it's really cool to hear how those programs have evolved and what people are learning and how that differed. And what's really important, what I like hearing, is how people are applying it. I apply it my way. I have a certain approach to exercise based on the information I've learned. Doesn't mean it's right. It really doesn't. My, my way is not the best way. I'll say that right now. If you're looking for the, quote, right way to exercise, I don't think there is a right way to exercise. We just need to move and exercise on a regular basis. And I am certainly not. I would never tell you I'm the right way. Any exercise program that, that I design or I write or I create is based on how I understand and apply the science. And as you've heard with many many professionals, many researchers I talk to on this podcast, the science is always evolving. What's that mean for you? That means for you in your fitness in your fitness world, when you're looking for a professional, whether a trainer or an instructor, you want to try to find somebody who's always learning, who's who's trying to take the newest workshops or trying to understand the latest research, because that's going to benefit you. The more that we can learn about human movement and how to apply that to exercise and how exercise affects the body, the more we can create the, the workouts, the equipment, the programs that help you get into the shape that you want to be in. This is a fun conversation today. I want you to understand a little bit more about percussion guns. I've had fun learning about percussion guns. Like I said, I'm doing a little bit of work with Nimble, so there is a little tie-in. There is a, a code down below if you want to purchase a Nimble percussion gun. I do get a commission if you get it. But I've been using it now for about five or six months, and I absolutely love it. In fact, I did a little mountain bike ride earlier, and once I get done recording this, I'll probably be using my Nimble on my quads and on my low back. Uh, talk about product placement. Uh, but in all seriousness, I use it because it works, and I really like it. And it's, I tried a, I've tried a couple different percussion guns, and I, and I keep coming back to the Nimble. Anyway, you have all the information down below in the show notes. You can get the resources there. If you want to learn more about exercise and fitness and, and how you can use it to enhance your quality of life, go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. Sign up for my mailing list. I'll send you a chapter from my first book, Smarter Workouts. I have links down below in the show notes for my books, Ageless Intensity and Smarter Workouts. You heard Jerry and I talk about the science, and those books apply the science. We'll teach you how to apply the science to yourself. That's Ageless Intensity high-intensity workouts to slow the aging process, and smarter workouts, the science of exercise made simple. Easy books, pick them up. Easy books to read, not easy books. Easy books to read and understand. Pick them up and learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. You can follow me at All About Fitness Podcast on YouTube. That's All About Fitness Podcast on YouTube. On Instagram, it's also All About Fitness Podcast. So that's All About Fitness Podcast on YouTube and Instagram. Find me there. And as always, thank you for stopping by. And I certainly look forward to joining this. And as always, thank you for stopping by. And I certainly look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.